0: Welcome to the Advance Born Global podcast. I'm Johanna Pittman, CEO of Advance, the non-profit organisation that shines a spotlight on the impact of outstanding global Australians. In this podcast series, we meet all 34 game changers recognised in the 2022 Global Australian Awards. These inspiring game changers generously share the story of their international career journey with us the highlights and challenges, and what motivates them in their work. I hope you enjoy getting to know these inspiring game changers. In this episode, we meet Tanya DeHoo, a 2022 game changer and inspiring corporate leader. I loved hearing how Tanya is determined to put people and the planet at the center of built environment and engineering projects if you were, let's say, addressing a high school audience, how would you describe what you do, what your career, what your role is, and what your day-to-day looks like?
1: Okay, so in simple terms, I'm a structural engineer and I work in design, um, and so I design buildings. So uh, I've been doing that for about 25 years. It used to look like uh, working with big teams, normally led by architects who have the big vision for how a building might look and how it might function. Um, and I used to specialize in things like big stadiums, like the Athens Olympic Stadium, or um, the Wimb- Wimbledon number one court movable roof. Quite big things like um, sports venues, tall buildings, big convention centers, things like that. So my day-to-day would be working with lots of other engineers in a team, working out how a building might stand up, what materials it might be made out of, um, how it feels to be inside that building, um, the impact of building that building on um, the people in the community and sort of in the area where it might impact people. Um, But now, as I've become more experienced and in more of a leadership role, I'm really focused on how we can evolve that role. So really, um, engineering was always about keeping people safe, but um, we're really focused on environmental and social impact now. So now my role um, still involves designing buildings, but looking at how we can reduce the negative impact of those buildings on the environment, and how we can um, make the most positive impact possible on both the environment and the people that use those buildings. Um, So it might be design of buildings, but it's also a lot of work in industry looking at different processes um, and how we can change what we do to improve, improve the whole industry and the whole profession.
0: That's, that's a fantastic overview. Can you give us a sense when you're working on something, you gave a couple of examples earlier in your career of those big projects around stadia and, and those sort of things. What About how long would each one of those projects be if you were one of the lead engineers on it?
1: It could be anything from a year to 10 years. So if I think about... Um, The Wimbledon number one court, which finished in 2019, we started that design six or seven years before. So, um, for really large projects, there's couple of years of design and then that design moves into the construction and we're involved in making sure that whatever we intended through the design is actually realised in construction. Um, But smaller projects don't take as long. Some we might be designing for a year or two before they um, start being built on site. So it really depends on the size and the scale and also the complexity of the project. And I think that's what I really like about what we do is that it's just so varied and so
0: diverse. And it sounds like it's really evolved over your, during your career and particularly um, recently. Uh, What are some of the big challenges you face uh, on a day-to-day basis, particularly with this more holistic view of engineering and its impact on the people around it and the environment?
1: I think, you know, there's, there's, it's such a rewarding career and it's, As well as challenges, there's a lot of opportunities. But certainly at the moment, the biggest challenges are to design really great buildings, but do them in a way that um, isn't having the detrimental impact on the environment that it currently has. So we're all focused on climate action, but we know that construction has up to 40% contribution to global warming. So it's changed the way we focus on what we do. Before, it was very much about, historically, it it was about the biggest building or the longest span or the most impressive, but that's not okay anymore in the context of, of the future. And so how do you still deliver really great buildings that help people thrive as well as survive? And at the same time, be really mindful about their impact on the environment. And we also know that impact on the environment is also impacting um, the most underserved in our community. So wrapping all of that in the, into delivery of buildings is is more challenging, but actually, I think, more
0: purposeful as well. And through the years, and I know you've spent the bulk of your career overseas What's kept you going? You've grown in this career and taken on bigger and bigger roles. And what's been your motivating force for that? I think it's changed with every, every sort of
1: large project or uh, experience I've had. So, um, you know, I was very fortunate to uh, gain my uh, undergraduate degree in Australia. And from that moment, I always felt like, well, I could work anywhere. So I I had a great um, baseline training. I moved to Perth after I graduated and that was really interesting. That introduced me to bridges and and an introduction into tall buildings and like many Australians that travel to Europe to have that kind of life experience, um, I did the same thing but with a few years of experience. When I got to London, I was introduced to Stadia. And I thought that's pretty cool at the time. I just had a couple of years, of years experience and I loved coming back home and saying, oh, I designed stadia. And, <laughs> um, it felt pretty, it just felt much bigger than anything I had experienced before, not just in engineering, but really in life as well. So that kept me going. But then I was introduced in, in London, um, to the principles of good design Um, that sort of stem from architecture and urban design, but really follow into engineering. And that was the motivator. Like, How can I become um, a better technical engineer and contribute to some of these really amazing buildings? Um, And then I think once I had delivered some of these larger projects that's when I really felt like there has to be more. I want my legacy at the end of my career, not just to be about fancy, you know, fancy buildings for privileged people, but I wanted to have more meaning. And I think that comes back to some of the values we have as Australians as well. Um, sort of a social conscience, I guess.
0: What does it Mean for you to be recognised in these global Australian awards for what you've been able to achieve and uh, what you're what you're doing now and introducing that to others in Australia.
1: I mean, it's it's hugely surprising and humbling at the same time, but I've really. I've I've really taken some risks in doing what I'm doing from a career perspective. Um, It would have been very easy for me to stay where I was. I started the London office of Thornton Tomasetti, the company I work for, and that was pretty challenging in itself. We were doing really well. It would have been very easy just to stay there. And um, I did it because I felt like I, I was given a privilege with my education, my upbringing, and I Really wanted to understand what more I could do, um, but it's pretty challenging. It's it's pretty challenging to change a process that's been established for you know decades, and and so to be recognised for some of that work, even though it's still in in progress, it's just a it's just an amazing feeling. It's just validation that there there is an audience out there that also feels as passionate about this as i do um, and and humbling i think because there are so many australians doing amazing work all over the world
0: oh that's um yeah it certainly um, helps us understand how those risks that you've taken as you've grown your career 2024 sounds like a a real culmination as president of the Institute of Structural Engineers. What's been the journey and what are you hoping to achieve in during that presidency of that important institute?
1: Again, it was really humbling to be nominated, but I accepted the role, which comes with a lot of, I guess, not personal sacrifice, but personal commitment, because there's a lot of time on top of, you know, my everyday work but i I accepted it because I felt like it was such an opportunity um that isn't afforded that many people and i I also wanted to be a great representation for engineers that we can be different <laughs> you know um it I've always been a little bit different from the norm but but that that's something to celebrate, and that's what I'm hoping to achieve with this is that Um, I might be sort of representing the Institute of Structural Engineers as its president for a year, but I want everyone to see that that's possible Um, and that everybody can make a contribution and, and kind of needs to at this point, I think. We all kind of need to move together in order to create the change that's required and I hope just by being different, other people will recognise that they've also got their own personal contribution to make.
0: What advice would you have for someone early in their career, let's say studying engineering or thinking about studying engineering? What what um, what advice might you share with them?
1: I think probably three things. Um, this isn't specific to engineering, but it certainly helps in the profession that Um, can be very challenging and at times can be stressful but equally as rewarding is find what you're passionate about and come back to that constantly because that passion will also be the thing that you end up typically being quite good at so and i think that's the next piece of advice it's like yeah i have um very broad experience but find one thing you're really good at because it not only creates confidence but it also um allows you that kind of like that baseline to to come back to so um yeah be passionate be good at just find that one thing you're good at um and be patient because there's you know there's a lot as an industry that or a profession that we can do together um, but change does take time and Mm -hmm. Particularly coming in, I think what I see is I experience a lot of young people that really understand the possibilities for engineering and, and how we essentially couldn't survive without it. Um, but sometimes they get a little bit disheartened with when within their first year or two, they, they don't see all of those changes happening. Um, um, and But we need everyone. And so that patience, I think, or perseverance is, is that last piece of advice. That I would give anyone at at any
0: stage in their career. Just a little lead on from that, you you mentioned that you know people with, from a different background with a d- different. How did you feel different to your peers as you've gone? What did you feel like was the thing that you brought that others didn't, or something about your identity that you felt like you had to, um, you had to accept and then and then sh- let shine as you built your career. I mean, the first and most obvious one is I'm a woman, <laughs> which, um,
1: you know, now out of out of university, we see much higher percent uh, percentages of women coming into engineering, which is amazing. I think I was one of two when I graduated um, as a civil engineer, and it didn't bother me at all at the time. I thought it was great. I I really lent into the the difference that kind of um, People remembered who I was, and and that was great. But what I what I realized in hindsight, it was more challenging. Um, and so there were opportunities and challenges in in being a, a woman in this industry. When I moved overseas, um, you know, I, I spoke differently and I had a different background, and so that was more challenging for people to place me. Where do I sit? Um, And with that, I think there is an inherent form of trust. So having to be patient and and kind of earn people's trust coming from a different country, even though that country was Australia. Um, And, you know, I moved over 20 years ago from Australia to London. I spent 20 years in London. When I moved to New York, the same thing happened again. And so I think understanding that it doesn't matter where you are, that human kind of connection and that that trust has to be earned. Um, so it, yeah, that that kind of difference, that having that different background, that different culture, it's a strength, but it's also potentially something you have to work at. As I was thinking about the questions, I was thinking about you know I'm, I'm immensely proud to be Australian and. I've always kept, you know, I come back twice a year and always kept those connections. And when I'm president of iStruct D, I'm really looking forward to making that kind of full circle loop um, because there's a lot of members in Australia. And I was thinking about that. I feel like I've been able to make my mark in other places because I had an Australian sort of culture and value system from the beginning. And I don't think I necessarily knew that at the time. I just had this kind of like almost inner confidence, or worldview that people are friendly. I've had a good education. You know, I, I can do this. Um, and yeah, I don't think I, when I was younger, I, I knew that that was the case, but it was, it created some kind of a like a pillow like a soft landing if anything you know ever didn't pan out i've always felt like it's not if i'll come back to australia it's when because of that upbringing i'm rambling a bit but i i feel like it's just so important for people to understand how lucky we are
0: thank you for listening to this episode for more on global australian game changers over the last decade please go to our website advance.org.